Tom Cruise did a little bit of overacting there when he did the whole upset. You haven't seen me very <laughs> upset. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 133 of The Impossible Movie Force, where we're going to talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and much, much more. Our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to convert our voices to digital bits so that they can be streamed to you. Today is Tuesday, April the 14th, 2015. I'm TJ, your top secret host, and joining me today is a man undercover in Prague. It's Joe Darnell. And this message will now self-destruct in five seconds. How are you, Joe? Doing great. Did you, did you light uh, one up as the message self-destructed? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, no, I thought that that was your job. Oh, oh, no. One of us should have covered that. Wait, wait, wait. Got the chewing gum right here. Okay. Wait, no, 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 no. no don't, put the, don't put the ends together. <laughs> How's it going, man? Good. How are you? Ah, uh, doing I'm well. I'm just uh, testing out something here with uh, embed code, but you continue. I'm, th- I'm listening to you, man. This is your show. Oh, it's my show. I get to carry it today. Like you're not, you're going to be so busy over there typing and tweeting and doing stuff with robots that you're, you know, the, the Twitter robots and the website yeah. robots that you're not going to have any time for us today. Well, you have to keep them entertained or you don't have an audience. Well, that's what we are. We're entertainers, Joe. So, mm-hmm. um, speaking, speaking of robots, yes. Speaking of robots, um, I wanted to talk about the robots that power our TVs. Uh, how do, how do you feel about those? Hmm. The robots that power the TVs? What's yes. up with that? I thought that they were test tubes. Um, uh, uh, well, no. I, I'm, lo- I'm at a loss. There used to be test tubes. I, I saw in the back of my grandfather's old television, there were test tubes in there. Well, there were tubes. I don't know if they were test tubes. They were some kind of tubes. And they were, uh, oh, okay. I think they were vacuum tubes or I don't know, cathode ray tubes. There we go. <clears throat> CRT. Yes. Um, the TVs don't have those anymore. Man, you've I, been I think read up on your Wikipedia. I think there's robots that are that are in the uh, behind those flat things, and that they push the pixels out to where they need to be, or something like that. So we have huh. we have robots that power these TVs. Um, I have had powering my TV experience for a while, an Apple TV. Okay, and, and more recently, as I talked about on the podcast, I I was suckered into spending twenty or twenty five bucks. I don't remember the promo deal because as an Amazon Prime subscriber, okay, for the uh, Fire Stick. You and, felt suckered. I, I didn't feel suckered mm, when I did that. Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm using them. Mm, I'm, I'm glad for you. I never could get it to work properly. Um, it's. It, I mean, it works. Let me tell you, my experience with that thing from day okay. one was awful. It was the worst. It, the worst, yeah. Joe. The worst. I, I I plugged the thing in. I got it out of the box. It was all shiny, and I had the remote, and I plugged it into my TV, and the thing spent at least an hour and a half. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. I'm actually estimating down installing an update. Like that's what it did for, for the long, and it just sat there. And then at one point a message even came up and said, 
this process is taking longer than expected. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but there's no way out of it. There's no way to stop it. There's no way to say, hey, you update tonight while I'm sleeping while I do this setup, okay? No, there was no way to get around it. I just had to wait. Did they offer to make a drone come out and pick it up? Give you your full refund? No, no, there wasn't anything like that. In retrospect, I kind of wish I had gotten the refund on it. I've, I've, I've re- barely used it. Once once the huh. update was finished, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a little bit slow. Sometimes it won't connect to the internet. Like, sometimes, um, I, I did find that if I position it just right, it works okay, usually. But it's just, it seems like it has really poor Wi-Fi reception. I'm in a really small house. There is nowhere in this house where it shouldn't get Wi-Fi reception, but... Sometimes it would just say cannot connect to the internet, can't can't find your network, etc. And I'll be I'll be sitting over in the corner, even further away, with my iPhone, and it's doing fine. I've tried changing, moving cords around, getting cords out of the way, making sure there was no interference. It's just awful. Uh, worse than that, Joe, um, when you're playing uh, huh. Netflix or Hulu or pretty much anything that's playing on screen. About every 15 to 20 seconds, it's it, most people may not even notice it, but it really bothers me. There's like this little like fuzzy static click or pop that will happen in the audio. Like it just it just it's not smooth and, and I, silky. I had no idea. Yeah. And it, maybe yours doesn't do that. Maybe I've got a dud. I don't know. I've been extremely unhappy with this device. I went much as I've been really not liking the Apple TV. Uh, I went back to the Apple TV mostly. And occasionally I would. I would I would pick up the remote to the to the um, uh, Fire Stick and I would use it and mess around with it. Hulu was the worst. Like Hulu, actually, I, and I think this is actually the app's fault because Hulu is a third party app on the Fire Stick, right? Okay. And huh. I would I would pick up the remote and I'd click on Hulu and watch one of my TV shows. And about usually about ten minutes into the show, it would just lock up and you couldn't get it to continue playing. Eh, so that's been my frustrating experience with the Fire TV. How about you? I haven't had any kind of a difficulty except for the first day trying to log in to our account and mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly clear as to how to put the thing to sleep or how to wake the thing up. And sometimes you get lost between if whether you're in the Amazon entertainment content or if you're in other entertainment content and that can create confusion if you if you've bought the thing and you're you're watching your copy of it or if you click this thing or you're watching it on Netflix. And so you get confused between the banners of the different menus because it's like, oh, yeah, hey, me go check out that show I wanted to watch. And you check it out. You, you go through a couple of nested menus. You get to the thing and it says, OK, that'll be $4.99. And you're like, wait a minute. This thing is free. Oh crap! I'm in the wrong menu. Got to go back again, and so that that happens every now and then. But um, I don't actually get a lot of usage out of the Amazon Fire Stick. It's in the uh, our master bedroom, and my wife uses it almost every night. Mm. And it's mainly just for her TV pleasure. And most things that she would want to watch are available for streaming on Netflix. So she spends about eighty percent of her time there, and then twenty percent of her time on DVDs and the like. But I gave her an, an Apple TV to try and extend the usage. And I think she's going to make it adva- take advantage of the HP, uh, HBO go now here, there and everywhere service <laughs> right. um, here in a couple of weeks. Uh, so she's got that. Um, but in general, she likes to just hang out in the, uh, the Amazon um, program because she likes the remote a lot better. Yes. Um, but we haven't dabbled with any Roku's. 
Yeah, well, I've been, uh, I don't know, I've been shopping around, and I, I didn't, you know, I've, I've heard some people recommend the Roku, some people recommend the Fire Stick, some people recommend this other streaming box, some people recommend the Apple TV, and, you know, I was for years a defender of the Apple TV, and I've just given up defending it. It's just okay, indefensible. Okay, well, I don't, want, I don't want to be an Apple apologist, but what's exactly the beef with the Apple TV? It's, um, is this buggy for you? Uh, it's uh, too slow? About, we've talked about this before, when we talked about... Um, yeah, yeah, we have, but, you know, there's, every day there's somebody who's born who hasn't watched the Flintstones. <laughs> So there, there's somebody who's tuning in for Movie Bite for the first time. Tell, tell them tell them all about it. Okay, so a lot of my frustration with the Apple TV is um, in this the, the, to start off. It's it's kind of a small thing, but it's kind of a big deal. Like every single time I click menu on the Apple TV and bring up the interface, there is a new thing intruding upon my home screen. Like, wouldn't you be really upset if you unlocked your iPhone and a new app? had populated itself onto the home screen and pushed your other apps out of the way. Would that not frustrate you? That, See, interesting. Okay, that frustrates I, 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 I me. Can take it, I can take that as a frustration. Uh, it doesn't bug me, but I, I understand because that is different from our other uh, computer and operating system experience. That, that's true. It, it is an interference in in how you've put everything in its place. And, and I know I know that some people are going to say, yes, well, when you install iOS updates, sometimes there's new Apple apps that you can't remove. And that is also a frustration, but it's not as bad because it usually goes on the end of the screen. There are literally new channels that go on the Apple TV that push stuff that I've arranged nicely and neatly out of the way. That frustrates me. On that note, yeah, it was about a month ago that I took a headcount, and there were 30 unique um, uh, uh, Apple TV apps. Oh, at least. And a couple of weeks after that, they added a few more. Mm, no, no, no. There, there were literally – I'm not I'm not exaggerating. There were 50. I counted every one, and then, and then they added like two or three more. Yeah, it's terrible. It's, it's awful. I, I'm glad those content channels exist. Make them available to – and uh, uh, some sort of app store interface or – you know, we'll get to that. The Roku does this really well. Uh, actually, mm. so does so does Amazon Fire Stick. So, or or the Fire TV, I should say, because it's common to both Fire Stick and the big Fire TV. Um, so, so that's a frustration. Mm. Uh, another frustration with the Apple mm-hmm. TV is that I cannot get Amazon Prime on the Apple TV because Apple's ecosystem is too closed. Um, I have three streaming services mm. that I care about: the Hulu, Netflix, and uh, Amazon Prime. Those where I get most of my digital content. I really don't care about iTunes anymore because I've had frustrating experiences with that. Uh, I'll sometimes I would click rent movie and it would take literally an hour before it was ready to play. And I have fast internet here. So, you know, stuff like that. Not always. Sometimes I click rent movie on iTunes or, or buy either one and it's available almost instantly. So it's just very inconsistent. I've never had those problems with other streaming services. So it's frustrating that I can't get Amazon prime on the Apple TV. Third frustration is the remote. The remote is reprehensible, Joe. Yes, I know. Can, Apple... can we go back to your, can we go back to your last point just for a split second? Yes. Yes. Does, does it not bug you that you cannot get to iTunes on the other devices? Well, not so far because I don't have a lot of uh, iTunes-specific content. I have a few things. I think I purchased Avengers and stuff, which is also available now for streaming on Netflix, I believe, or somewhere I saw that it was available for streaming. So it doesn't bother me. I still okay. have the Apple TV. I can still get to the content. I have Plex Media Server set up, and so I'm able to access all my content on my Mac Mini that's local on my hard drive over the network. That's not a big deal uh, on my Roku uh, and previously on my Fire. Um, so – it, it, that's not a big deal. It doesn't bother me too much. So 
the okay. the Apple remote. That's this is my third point now for the Apple TV is reprehensible. I understand Apple's attraction to minimalism, and I share it. I don't like having more. Th- I like I look at the messy cords on my desk and try as I might to organize them. I use t- cable ties and twist ties and 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 various different things over the years, and it's just a mess. It's a rat's nest, and I hate it. And I wish that I could reduce those, but they do serve a purpose and a function. Same thing with the remote. Uh, all the remotes that are not Apple remotes have more buttons on them. But guess what? I use most of them on the Roku. Uh, I use most of them on the uh, Fire. And the Apple's remote is infrared, and these remotes are Bluetooth. And the Roku's remote is Bluetooth. The Fire Stick uh, TV remote is Bluetooth. And so you don't have to have them pointed in a specific way. You can use them from anywhere, and they're not a problem. So the remote. I am impressed that they yeah. have the audio app on their remote because audio is my go-to streaming music service. Yeah. I, I do like that. I, I wish that it were programmable because I have um, uh, Spotify. I am a Spotify user. So that, but, but anyway, the, the other three that I use are there. So that's, that's a plus. Um, yeah. So the, the remote is a big deal and, and, and having used the Roku now for a couple, or I used it last night for watching TV and it, the remote is just delightful. It, it feels solid and you click stuff and stuff happens. And, uh, yeah, the, the Apple remote is reprehensible. So, um, I'm trying to think so what can, else. Can you explain one other quickie for me? Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm just looking at the lineup. There are there's the Roku One, the Roku Two, and the Roku Three. Not to mention the Roku Streaming Stick. What's up with that? So I mean, that's a lot well, like why, what, uh, why not just one device that does it all? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a lot like what uh, uh, other you know, like the Fire is doing as well. They have the stick, and then they have the the thing. Now, so the Roku Roku has kept all their models around uh, so that they can kind of like Apple does with iPhone models. The previous year's model is available for less money. It's not as powerful, etc. So um, that that's the general idea. I do think they have too many around the Apple. Or, I mean, the Roku, um, the the Roku three is the current one. Um, so that's, that's the one that I got. Um, okay. I, I finally just found the notes that I had made originally why I'm disillusioned with the Apple, uh, TV, um, channel management, navigation. Have, one thing I want to know is have you tried the voice search? That looks like a handy feature. It's, it's fantastic. It, it works really well. And because Roku, th- this is where the, this voice search on the, on the fire is a little bit different because they really want to push Amazon content. The Roku hmm. has no content they want to push, and so they're just Comes a with device. A warranty and, too. and so when I say um, thirty days money back guarantee, wow! I say uh, find Arrow or, or Arrow, you know, or whatever, or Mission Impossible. It comes up with all the various options of the channels I have installed, and say, hey, it's available on Netflix, it's free, or it's available on Amazon Prime, and it, it costs two ninety nine, whatever. So, <clears throat> so I've been can, impressed. Can with I the just say search. one other thing as a, a designer to a web developer? Mm. Roku has the best website of the three. It sure beats Amazon Absolutely. and it sure beats the current state of anything pertaining to Apple TV information. Like th- th- this is an information rich and design rich sort of website. And uh, just as uh, a designer, I would say I give them my full endorsement and recommendation. This is a very cool looking website that presents all the information in a readable way. Yeah. Th- this is a great place to shop for a product. So actually talking about the Roku now, the Roku 3 is what I got. And it, it is delightful. I, I literally, when I plugged it in, it did a software update and it took 15 seconds. I timed it. I kid you not. And there was an update and it said downloading update and it took 15 seconds. Unlike my, unlike an update even for the Apple TV, which really just ties it up for, you know, 30 minutes sometimes, which is frustrating. 
So, yeah, and certainly beats the fire stick. Uh, setup was painless. Um, it, it, it literally, I just, uh, I went into my various services and logged in and I was, it was done. You know, to activate the Roku, uh, I pulled out my iPhone and typed in the code that it told me and created an account. And it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was really good. And I was surprised. Huh. Like it, it felt very much almost, not quite, but maybe almost Apple, what you would normally expect from an Apple quality, Apple caliber experience. You would relate it to something like um, what Apple's uh, product should be, not necessarily what it is. Correct. Yes. Um, I, I was very impressed even with the speed of navigation. Like when I click on Netflix, it loads immediately. It's it's faster than the Apple TV. Uh, certainly faster than the Fire Stick. Um, you know, you, you anything you do, like the whole interface does not feel like you're ever waiting on it. Um, it. It's just a delightful device to use so far. I've been very impressed. So I just wanted to get that out in the air. Hit it open. Hmm. Well, I, I want to go back to the Apple TV. My my opinion is open minded because I haven't ever used the Roku. I'll take your your word on it. Uh, good faith, I believe it probably is a solid box because it has better updates, more features, and from the sound of it, that it just works like clockwork. And that is something that the Amazon Fire Stick does not do. Correct. And I think that it has a lot to do with its hardware limitations because it's just the stick. It's not the entire box. I would it's hope so. It's not trying to bla- break any land speed records. Yeah. Yeah. And, and th- then you have the Apple um, solution, which I feel like is uh, just barely the bare minimum of what you would be required to keep you like locked into the iTunes ecosystem. Yep. And I'm right there because – I started using the Apple TV several years ago, and I got locked in. So I kind of, I kind of like to dabble with what I can do on Amazon. But for the most part, I already have an investment in movies over iTunes. So I, I'm kind of in the locked in position. TJ. So do you have like, a lot of you know, do you have a lot of movies that you've purchased through iTunes, or just you have a lot of local content in iTunes, or, or what do you what do you what do you mean? Yeah, I have movies that I purchased with iTunes. Mm. And, and so, yeah, for those kind of reasons, like, I mean, I had already maybe, um, uh, two dozen movies before last summer through iTunes. And so when new hits came along without any hesitation, I went and got the Hobbit movie and guardians of the galaxy through, uh, iTunes. Now that being said though, because I do have the Amazon app, um, it's my backup plan. So anytime something is just really annoying, like the price or the availability on iTunes, I will not hesitate to go ahead and buy it on Amazon and watch it there. And so I have rented movies and I have bought just a couple of movies on Amazon when I felt like it. Yeah, I've been I've been moving towards a, nor, a more platform agnostic stance. I used to be a huge into Apple's ecosystem, and uh, thankfully, uh, or not, whatever, yeah. however you want to look at it, I have not purchased that many movies through iTunes. I had a lot of uh, ripped CDs and even some purchased albums through iTunes, which Spotify has all this music that I want for my monthly subscription anyway, so I've kind of moved there. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, I have... Uh, I have really started to want to use services that are not tied to a platform. I still like Apple's platforms, but I don't want my stuff tied to it. Like I've moved away from using iCloud for stuff and I use uh, Google services because Google doesn't care what device you're on. Amazon doesn't care what device you're on too. Amazon only recently started making the Fire TV, but they want their that's not their business. That's just a supplement. Their business is providing you content and goods. And so they want that stuff to be available wherever they can get it. And so I've been moving my services into something more platform agnostic. And, and I hope that Apple and, – and Apple, by the way, has, has really uh, 
with and this is not related to TV and movies, but like with the Photos app uh, for Mac, it is fantastic. It has some limitations that I suspect they will fix, but it's the first good thing I've seen come out of Apple in a long time in a, in a dry desert. I've been over here dying in the dry desert, and Apple's finally given us some water um, with this Photos app. <laughs> it's it's impressive, and I hope that this is a sign of things to come. But I've been decoupling myself from the Apple ecosystem. Because I haven't liked the signs that I've been seeing, and and I hope that they turn it around. I want to stick with Apple, and I don't I don't plan to leave Apple's computers or phones. But that's just kind of where I'm at. And the Roku, of course, is a step away from Apple, and and I've been very happy with it. Um, so yeah. Mm, okay, I hear you. Yeah, Good for you. I'm I'm sorry you're tied to the iTunes ecosystem. I'll pray for you. Thank you. I do appreciate your purse. And uh, one of these days, maybe uh, we'll find a hack for this and we'll get myself completely moved over to whatever yeah, we want to be. Diagno- so, di- what is it? Uh, device agnostic? Yeah, like you platform, say? platform agnostic. You'll, you'll, I mean, mm. the problem is you'll have to hack, Liberty, uh, you'll have to hack iTunes uh, Fairplay DRM, which, which uh, nobody has really done for the movies at this point. So uh, somebody hacked it for back in the day for the audio stuff, and then it was re you know redone to fix the holes. And I don't think any I don't think any of Apple's FairPlay current current FairPlay stuff has been cracked. So, anywho, I think we should move on because we beat this topic half to death. And I think that we should talk about James Costa. This was a um, this was an interesting find. Like uh, right, like literally right before the show, I was just cruising around waiting for you to get online and whatever. And I found this link. I think I may have seen it on Facebook or something. And it said uh, James Costa does Robin Williams impression. And I thought, ah, okay, I'll click, I'll bite, whatever. This is fantastic. I'm going to play some of this audio, but it's not going to do it justice. It's not just about the audio. It's about his facial expressions and the way he comports himself as he does the impressions. It's it's fantastic. Here, just take a listen. Mark Colin Lawson, you're immenseness. The humans, they're strange. They have things called pets. They poo and they pee and they love them. Nano, nano. Being naked is the only way you can enjoy it. Jack, have you ever heard of the story of the Fisher King? No, thanks. Good morning, Vietnam! We interrupt the sucky weather to bring you this. Alright, let's dance. Party, party. Pan the Avengers back. Good form, old man. Bangarang. Anyway, you get the idea. He sounds just like Robin Williams, does he not? Yeah, he's really uncanny that way. And I, I, I think it's not like uh, as dynamic as the full range of all of Robin Williams' voice, but just listening to him, it sounds spot on. If you had just played a little clip, I would have assumed that, that was the real man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, and I think that some of our listeners will even be – and here's the thing. I'm going to play one more that where he does an impression of both Gandalf and Gollum. And then I'm going to talk about uh, what he's doing here. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Who is the ring bearer? Smeagol's. Oh. Hello, precious. If I could only find the orcs, they're hiding in the grass. Five fools! Elbow yeah. baggins. We haven't aged today. So my first thought upon watching this video is like, wait. He kind of got off right there yeah, at the end, but it's it great. Yeah, it, my first thought upon uh, of, of watching this video is like, wait, is he like, is he pulling like actual sound clips and just dubbing them over his voice or I mean over his, his the video? Because it sounds so much like the, you know, Ian McKellen that I'm like, what 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 is going on here? It's crazy. 
Um, I don't know. And, and so, but, but I mean, I'm, I'm watching it going, no, I don't remember them saying these things and there's no music behind it. And it's, you know, it's gotta be him. It's just uncanny what he's able to do with his voice. TJ, what I think this uh, is teaching us is that there are people out there who are better at, you know, uh, one-liners and movie imitations or impersonations than, than you. But I, I don't than know. me? This is a possibility. Me? What? I don't know what to tell you. You may <laughs> have to change your plans. <sighs> Man, I was going to be an impersonator. I, I was going to – that was just what I was going to do. I don't know what to do now, Joe. You've you've ruined all my hopes and dreams. You were going to be the next Robin Williams and the next uh, wizard. Uh, I'm sorry. You can't, you can't do that. I'm so good at it. Hey, you, mm. you, you want to hear my Gandalf impression? Sure. Never heard that one, have I? Bilbo Baggins. Wasn't that so good? <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty close. It was a, a pretty young wizard tenor, but that, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much what he sounded like when when Gandalf was in his early twenties. No, I can do better than that. But uh, the point is, I can't do as good as him. <sighs> Bilbo Baggins. Nope, can't do it. <laughs> I can do a fairly good Yoda, which I'm, I'm not Bilbo really. I haven't Baggins. even. I, I yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was just incredible. So I thought I'd throw those in the uh, in the show notes. By the way, there's two more too. He does one of Matthew McConaughey. I, I don't know. I got to play a little bit of that because it's just it's not as good, but it's fun. Um, here we go. Please. You know, there's just something about living on a farm, watching all the little chickens run around like they're confused. All right, all right, all right. I just finished my Christmas shopping. Now it's the season to be jolly. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's, it's, it's almost like uh, Matthew McConaughey is a little bit stoned or something, but it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> consistently so. Yeah, he does one of Indiana Jones as well, Harrison Ford, which is probably the worst of them, but still really good. So those links will be in the show notes. By the way, Joe, 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 can you tell me where to find the show notes at? I, yes, I need to you know. You can hop on over to moviebyte.com slash MB slash 133. No. What? Incorrect moviebyte.com slash podcast slash 133. Don't confuse right. our listeners. Don't confuse them. Sorry. You, you need to create a short link. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, Joe, do you want to tell us about Batman V Superman? Batman 5 yeah, Superman footage? this is a very cool sounding news. Uh, so it has been reported that Batman versus Superman footage will hit the internet Thursday and a trailer debuts on uh, April the 20th in theaters. Remember that this is the movie directed by Zack Snyder. It's also going to have some kind of appearance of Wonder Woman, but the internet is all crazed because, you know, all we're about is watching Superman movies these days. Mm. The post on slash film has 42 comments and all kinds of nerds are sharing their animated gifs. They, they can't get over this idea. They're really excited. They got pictures of animated Superman hugging animated Batman because they're just so excited to see Ben Affleck as Batman hugging. Uh, what is that guy's name as Superman? Henry Cavill. Mm, Henry Cavill. Um, I'm excited for them. Um, it sounds interesting. I'm not interested in the idea of Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne or Batman. Really, honestly, nope. I am totally sold on Henry Cavill. But we have two huge problems here. 
I like the incarnation of Superman. I just think that he is in completely the wrong dimension. Like he is in the wrong superhero universe because the director, God himself in this universe is Zack Snyder. And he has a way of making everything horrible, grimy, dis, uh, despondent and just dank. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. It's, it's not true to the world where Superman exists. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but Zack Snyder you really are ruining the ride for practically all of the faithful superhero fans. Totally. And, I, and when I say the faithful, I'm talking about us Superman fans that go way back to the eighties and mm-hmm. prior, you know, um, we're really the core. Um, the, the, anyone beyond the eighties into the nineties and beyond, they, they don't know what to do with Superman. They don't know who he is. And so they have this idea that he can just be whatever we want him to be. And I'm sorry, but that's not the way it should work. Can work. You cannot recreate Mickey Mouse. You just gotta let it be him be alone and be. Wait, wait, wait! How did we go from Superman and Mickey Mouse? How did that happen? What are we even? What's happening? I'm thinking about iconic characters, TJ. I'm thinking about characters that were built before the '70s. Who, um, you know, modern filmmakers and artists have tried to keep up with the times, and so they recreate them and they create them with new purposes for the new audience. So you go back to yesteryear, and you go back to uh, Mary Melodies. Uh, Mickey Mouse had, was a, a really dynamic individual. He was trying to be happy, but sometimes he got angry. Sometimes he was mischievous, and sometimes all he cared about was you know being sweet on uh, Minnie. But then other times, you know, he he was trying to do a job and he wouldn't be very good at it. Like he actually had a dynamic personality. He he was a person with problems and he was trying to overcome his problems. You, you flash forward to today and Mickey Mouse is just a watered down, hyped up, uh, entitled uh, white guy who, with big ears and, and what he gets is he basically gets a free ride. He, he shows up in all the preschool cartoons to you know, teach kids their, their their letters and to have fun baking a cake for Goofy's birthday, and they laugh it all off for the preschool children. And then when he does make an appearance in any kind of film short, it's it's not invoking anything that was true about Mickey Mouse fifty years ago. What made him great in the vision of Walt Disney's own eyes? Like we we have truly lost the Disney magic when it concerns the most iconic character of the Disney world. And I mean, like, remember that people before there was snow white before there were Disney princesses, there were goofy Donald and Mickey. And I care about their original incarnations way more than I probably should. Can you tie this back to Superman for me? Well, same thing. I'm, I'm he goes back lost. to the 1930s. Yeah. Superman goes back to the 1930s. He was the big blue boy scout and everybody understood why everybody appreciated him and they didn't need to question why Superman was always trying to do the right thing. We just believed that the man actually wanted to do the right thing. But then as society changed TJ, as the storytellers, their, their worldviews got scarier and more suspect and there were more fears and doubts plaguing society. We assumed that no matter who you are, you must be a vexed person mm. and you must doubt your all of your sanity and everything that you believe in all the time or you're not a substantive, realistic individual. So we plague everybody with this assumption and we even ruined the best of characters like Superman who had it all figured out because we cannot believe that he could possibly have it all together. But then – you know, Marvel comes along and they prove that a character like that still works with characters like Captain America. Sure. So you can you can make it work. But DC doesn't believe in their guy. They don't believe in their star player, like the best quarterback. I mean, like, come on. He was great. Why did you have to go and ruin the ride? Why did you have to change it? And that's what I'm talking about. 
So he, he's basically the Mickey Mouse of D, D, DC Comics. So we can infer that you're not looking forward necessarily. You're not excited about the Superman landscape. No, 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 not at all. I mean, uh, there were moments in Man of Steel when I, I got a little bit misty-eyed because I appreciated Henry Cavill's performance as Superman, which was really solid. I was just really disappointed with most anything else about that movie besides the special effects production quality. Yeah. Yeah, here, here's here's the thing, and I, I'm totally with you. I have no interest, and in, I can't wait for Thursday to get here so I can continue to not be excited about Superman. I'll watch the trailer because that's I, it, I just will, but I'm not interested. I don't care. Um, I'm going to see the movie because I'll have to because it's a thing and because it's in the culture and because it's a big DC deal. But Here's the thing. DC took the wrong lessons from uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. What they took from that, from from uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, is we need dark and gritty, and the people like dark and gritty. And what they should have took from that is that worked for Batman. That is th- That worked really well for Batman. Now let's go do Superman, and let's be true to Superman, because I think above all things, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy was true to what we would envision for a modern day Batman. And I'm not, Joe, I wasn't asking with Superman for it to remain the, the exact replica of Christopher Reeves' Boy Scout Superman. That wasn't what I wanted. But what they've done is they've changed Superman into something he's never supposed to be. Superman didn't kill people. Superman, like, I didn't believe that storyline. Superman's dad was not a jerk, and I did not like Superman's dad. In the new in 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 what uh, Man of Steel, I just I don't have any love for this. I don't I don't in my heart of hearts really want more of this Man of Steel Superman. I don't want it. I don't care. They've they've taken some they've taken a superhero that I dearly love and they've turned him into somebody I don't dearly love, and that is a that is a huge cardinal sin that they should not have done. So I'm 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 right there with you. I feel very strongly about this, as you can tell. Good. <laughs> Relay your bite feels. <sighs> yeah. So I that's that's all I have to say about that. I Thursday we'll get here and I'll continue to not be excited. And I'll watch the I'll watch the trailer and I'll probably make some snarky comments on mm. Twitter. You can follow me at TJ Draper Pro if you want to see those. And that's about well, all. TJ, you want to tell me about something you like? I do, in fact. I have said uh, for a while that what we need, so one of the best superhero films ever made, I think you would probably agree with me, was The Incredibles. And what, yeah. if we need a sequel to anything, if there's a sequel that needs to be made in Hollywood, it's a sequel to The Incredibles. <laughs> Don't you agree? Inside or outside of Hollywood, yes. Uh, so the news reported by Jermaine Lucier at Slash Film is that Brad Bird has finally turned his attention from Tomorrow to The Incredible. The director is finishing up Tomorrowland, the film he chose to do over Star Wars The Force Awakens, which, by the way, looks fantastic, and has started to look towards his next project. Thankfully for him, his next project was kind of revealed over a year ago. That's when Disney CEO Bob Iger told investors Pixar was beginning to work on The Incredibles 2, and now that Brad Bird is free again, it seems he's begun work on it. Uh, and the news here, he, the quote from him is, I'm just starting to write it, so we'll see what happens. Um, I'm excited. I, and to have Brad Bird back, too, like, um, because I love The Incredibles so much. In fact, I'm, I'm, I have a hankering to watch it again. We've not talked about that film on this show, I don't think, so we should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's an incredible film. It's a fantastic film. It, it, is, it is hard for me to, to name favorites among the good Pixar films because I like all the Toy Story films. Uh, I, I like... Uh, cars. I like 
the incredible yes i know i i do like cars i like the incredibles i like a lot of pixar's work so it's hard for me to, to, to pick favorites but man alive i gotta tell you uh the incredibles is way up there on that list it is fantastic and i can't wait for the incredibles too mm. it's a good thing to to look forward to i love brad bird and i don't mind whatever he is directing he did a good job with mission impossible 4 absolutely and uh i i just think he's gonna nail it i don't know what he's got in mind but he's gonna nail it yeah, I agree. So speaking of awesome superhero movies, yet again, we have the Ant-Man trailer, and this one has uh, been updated. This one shows more of the story, shows off more of the special effects and why we should believe that a man can be small and can punch you in the face and knock you out. Yeah, I mean this is this is certainly the best look we've had at Ant-Man so far. Um, so here's here's a quick clip from the trailer. Imagine – a soldier the size of an insect the ultimate secret weapon you give godlike powers to everyone it's going to be chaos so how do we stop him i know a guy scott i've been watching you for a while you're different and I believe everyone deserves a shot at redemption. So this is from the trailer for uh, the upcoming Ant-Man uh, from Marvel. Uh, so another Marvel uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe installment. And uh, I thought the trailer looked really good. What did you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's Ant-Man's uh, like a normal uh, average guy identity name? Uh, Just Google, as a human being. Google will probably tell us. Um, do, 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 Something do. I, I, I was trying to figure out was how was Ant-Man different from Adam-Man? And I'm more familiar with Adam-Man from the DC universe. Mm. Basically the same thing. Gets small. Still has super strength and stuff. Wears spandex though instead of metal um, super suits. And uh, in general, what is, uh, what's his name? Adam-Man? The the story is is that he was the scientist that figured out the powers and gave them to himself and then he used them to fight evil and crime and save the world. Whereas what we have here is we have a criminal who uh, teams up with the scientist who um, was stalking him and says, I think that you'd be good if, uh, if not expendable wearing a red super suit to go out there and fight evil forces as the Ant-Man. And I'm going to call you that because I can because I made the suit. So I find it interesting. Um, I think that they have a lot of wiggle room to uh, infuse the story with Spider-Man-like snarky humor, which the <laughs> the the likes of the Joss Whedon Marvel Empire really can't toy with because they don't have control of the Spider-Man franchise. So it's like they, they're giving that kind of characteral uh, humor over to uh, Ant-Man. And I don't know if that's true about the comics, but they're, they're certainly nailing it and I'm enjoying it for the sake of the film. Uh, and it, it was pretty funny. Like – I'm looking at the hokey villain and it's just a reminder of how often the movies do their best to try and stay like away from all the hokey villain stuff. Mm -hmm. They do their best to try and um, steer anything uh, away from that for the motion pictures. But when it comes to something like this, it doesn't seem like they can really get away with that. They cannot entirely get away from the hokey villain. So they have it. And I'm intrigued by the, uh, the, um, the something that the scientist says near the beginning of the trailer that uh, you wanted to give everybody these godlike powers and you thought it would be okay or, or, or something like that. And so I'm wondering like what exactly was the villain going to do? Was he basically plotting to 
give people every everyday people like some kind of version of superpower or was it more like syndrome from the Incredibles who just wanted to hand over superpowers to the most powerful, influential people in governments and military forces so that they could all duke it out with each other with superpowered, you know, like um, technologically advanced gadgets that he could fabricate? You know, it, I'm wondering which extreme it is because if, if the idea is that the villain is evil because he wanted to give everybody powerful, um, you know, tools and super abilities – I'm failing to see exactly what's so evil about this until they reveal he wants to kill people along the way to do it. Uh, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I thought the trailer looked pretty good. So we will see, I guess. You know, I don't know. I have nothing else to add. We shall see. So speaking of Marvel, uh, we have some news here about Avengers Age of Ultron. Really more reactions to people who have already seen the film, uh, who've had early press screenings and stuff. Uh, Peter Serretta of Slash Film says that Avengers Age of Ultron is bigger, more complex, darker, more action-packed than the first film, but ultimately not as much fun. Uh, somebody named Silas Lesnick, Age of Ultron is a blast, and there's a ton of cool Marvel surprises. John Champia, personally, and then in all caps, I loved it. Hashtag Avengers. Uh, let, let's see if we can find some more here. <clears throat> Seth Weintraub of Collider says that Avengers Age of Ultron is loaded with insane action, great character moments, and funny dialogue. Joss did the impossible again. Important to note, Avengers Age of Ultron is a completely <laughs> different movie than the first one, and that's why it works. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find anything more interesting here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of quotes here. There will be a link to this in the show notes. Uh, basically, the I would say that the uh, consensus from everyone is that the movie is good. Some thought it was awesome, some even better than the first Avengers, some not as good as the first Avengers film, but nobody had any hate for this film. So that's very encouraging, and, and as I would expect coming from Joss Whedon, but given the some of the stuff that I've been seeing, you know, he's leaving Marvel for a while at least, and he's talked about how tired and worn out he is, and I was just afraid that maybe he was running out of gas, but it sounds like he delivered a really great film. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that news. How about you? I'm very happy with it. And I don't care if they give us more Ant-Man movies per se. I just like that they're introducing this character and branching out away from the stereotypical honks that have, you know, a well-built figure and, and they're all American heroes or they're all American geniuses. And they're, they're sort of like shoe-ins for heroism. Um, you know, characters like Peter Parker have this quality going for them that they are not really the suitable hero types that become suitably, you know, heroic when, you know, they, they prove that they're made of better stuff than your average guy. And the same would be true of characters like Wolverine and Ant-Man. And under Joss Whedon's wing, we don't have too many characters that quite uh, align with this, um, with this essential type of superhero for the Marvel Universe. Um, you might say that Tony Stark falls into this category in a unique way, but it's not exactly the same um, because his father and his business were already involved in, you know, war activity, activity, military activity. So they were already accustomed to choosing sides and fighting people and using guns and um, defining that they were the heroes and the losers were the bad guys. So th that was something that um, is more unique about characters like Ant-Man. So I'm happy to see that they get to explore this, even though they don't have the likes of Spider-Man. Wait, so were you talking about Ant-Man or the Avengers, Joe? Well, you know, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I guess I was kind of like lost in the shuffle whilst, uh, you know, still thinking about Ant-Man. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. But yes, I, I hear you. Uh, yes, uh, Ultron, awesome. Good for them. I'm glad they like that movie. 
Yeah, I was I was so confused the whole time you were talking. I'm like, I'm not sure what <laughs> dots were connecting here. <laughs> Thank you for letting me just prattle on about Ant Man. Uh, uh, priorities, priorities, people. All right, I'm so more about Ant-Man so you're looking Ultron. forward to uh, Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. But what can I say? I mean, what can I add to a bunch of tweets? Uh, uh, favorite, favorite, favorite star, star, star. <laughs> All right, you wanted to uh, put, you wanted to talk about Netflix adding audio description for the visually impaired, and this is related to the recent rollout of their new Marvel TV show. Speaking of Marvel, Marvel is in all the things tonight. Um, is there, <laughs> this is the Marvel bite. Yeah, yeah. R- related to their recent Netflix TV show rollout of um, Daredevil. So um, tell us about this, Joe. Yeah, okay. So I started watching Daredevil the other night, and it's a very solid show. And it, uh, all of our friends are checking it out now. My younger brother actually got addicted very fast, and he sped through the entire first season. And he says, Joe, you got to you gotta watch this. It's amazing. So I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to watch probably another one tonight after I'm done with Movie Bite. But it's it's um it's interesting. It's a different kind of superhero story, and I do like that they get to tell the story differently as a television serial. Um, what we're going to get is probably the best incarnation of Daredevil yet. I know that there are some, some particular Daredevil comic books that really wow people, but I'm not I'm not about to pick those up. So the only way I'm ever going to get the, to the story is with this television show. Um, it, it brings it up to, you know, everyday audiences appeal and, uh, to go one step further, it's not just going to appeal to everyday audiences, TJ, it's actually going to reach out to the people who don't normally get to appreciate television. And that is really cool. So in the past, TJ, we had subtitles for the hearing impaired, but they could only go so far. And typically the hearing impaired could really benefit from them. And, and also like, you know, we're Americans. Sometimes we actually watch foreign films and, we like our subtitles too so that we can enjoy those foreign films. And I know that some foreigners, believe it or not, like to watch you know, American movies too. And so they like Crazy. it when they can get their movies in their translations. So I can understand why anybody who has an obstacle that prevents them from enjoying entertainment would appreciate it if you would make it accessible to them. And I had an old friend who had cancer as a child and he lost most of his vision. And when that happened to him, it really impacted him. It really, it really derailed his life. And one of the things that he and I talked about when we were kids was that it really ruined it for entertainment for him. Mm. Um, and when he was trying to watch TV with friends and family, he would ask them to do this simple service of describing what was happening in the movie so that he could appreciate it and form an opinion and get it excited about it. Interesting. And it was something that we did together sometimes. Yeah. So it's like it's, it's subtitles for the visually impaired and that is what Netflix is doing and they're introducing with the Daredevil service. Now, I dare, I dare say, TJ, that this has been done before by some other parties and there have been probably – there have been others that have attempted this solution. It's just very cool of Netflix for them to get the ball rolling on a bigger scale for their entire network and to introduce it in a timely manner with a show like Daredevil with a central character who is totally blind. Like I'm really yeah. with that yeah. because this guy, this character in the show doesn't let his handicap get in his way. He, I mean, I know it's fantastic. I know we're talking about a superhero who can do things like, you know, dodge speeding bullets. Mm-hmm. But the guy proves a point 
You don't need to let handicaps get in your way. Hey, am I handicapped that I don't have wings and I cannot fly? I mean, I mean, what up? <laughs> so I feel like I should live a crappy life because I cannot fly. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, handicap is in the eye of the beholder. Mm, and so mm. it's very cool to see somebody who can overcome a, a stereotypical handicap and say, no, I, I'm not going to be handicapped. I'm just going to use my strengths in other areas. Not everybody has to be brilliantly scientifically you know, an expert at math and language and, you know, a violinist to be considered a genius and, you know, well endowed with abilities and talents to be considered, you know, a special important person. You can be handicapped and be an important person too. And I don't even think of them as handicaps anymore um, because of like my experience with my friend from childhood. Like I said, he was a very talented individual that reminds me of this character in this show. So it's the kind of thing that I think that my friend would have really benefited from. And I'm just so happy to see that Netflix is taking charge of, uh, charge of this. And I sure hope that it pans out and in, they get to expand on this feature for their service in the future where you will be able to listen to a track where someone is essentially narrating the movie, the show for you from beginning to end and will describe any kind of detail and it get it gets you in interested into the story and uh, let you be a part of the audience. Well, there you go. Uh, I, I do think I, I didn't know what I was going to say about this because uh, I am not uh, vision impaired. Um, well, I mean, I wear glasses, but I'm not vision impaired. And I, I didn't just didn't, I mean, I think you've summed up everything well, and I'm, I'm glad that they're doing this. There's there's no doubt about it. I, I find it hard to fathom how anybody that's vision impaired could watch TV and enjoy it. And I'm sure this is a huge step in the right direction as far as that goes. And I, I'm, I'm certain that people who are vision impaired have become very auditorily um, uh, focused, like, they, you know, they make up for their vision with their auditory senses. I mean, that's a thing. So uh, it's certainly very cool that Netflix is doing this. And and it's just another step forward in pushing the um, pushing the way we think about media into the new age, because I really, truly believe Netflix, Hulu, and services like it, whether it's these services or not, but this is the way we're moving into the future. Like the old media is dying. This is the new media. And so it's exciting to see with that, the new technologies, the new advances, the new ways which we can do things such as these things. Uh, it, it's very exciting and I'm, I'm happy to see that. So uh, more power to them. And I hope to see that sort of thing continue. Joe, are you ready to talk about the impossible mission force? Yes, please. Simple game. Is he serious? Always. It's much worse than you think. We're being ambushed. Abort, that's an order. They knew, they knew we were coming. Do you read me? So that was from the trailer for Mission Impossible from 1996. Yes, that's the movie we're reviewing today. It was released on May the 22nd of 1996. It had a budget of $80 million, which I'm sure translates to a lot more, uh, what are we, almost 20 years later? Uh, opening weekend, $45.4 million. The worldwide gross is $457.6 billion. The critics' consensus is that it is full of special effects, but Brian De Palma's update of Mission Impossible has a lot of sweeping spectacle while the plot is sometimes convoluted. The director was Brian De Palma, and the writers Bruce Geller and David Cope. I'm assuming that's how you say that. 
Uh, the actors were Tom Cruise, John Voight, Emmanuel Biot. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. It's French, and I am not French. Adding that to the list of people who shall not be named. <laughs> Henry uh, Zerny, Cerny, uh, Jean Reno, uh, Jean, Jean Reno, it's French. I should know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ving Rames, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, and Vanessa Redgrave. The composer was Danny Elfman, and I'll have to say, while I enjoy this film, Joe, uh, the music was not a, a runaway success. I mean, obviously, the Mission Impossible theme is cool and all that, but there wasn't anything spectacular or distinctive about the music other than that. Mm. Uh, so having said that, why don't you tell us about the storyline, and then we can dive into the review here. Yes, let's. So storyline based on the hit TV series. Jim Phelps has been sent to Prague for a mission to prevent the theft of classified material. His wife, Claire, and his trusted partner, Ethan Hunt, are members of Phelps' team Unfortunately, something has gone horribly wrong, and the mission has failed, leaving Hunt the lone survivor. After reporting the failed mission, Ketridge, who is the head of IMF, suspects Ethan of being a mole and the reason for the failed mission. Now, Ethan uses unorthodox methods, which includes the aid of an arms dealer going by the name Max to try to find who set him up to clear his name. All right, so let's let's talk about this film, Joe. Uh, what are what are some of your general thoughts? What do you want to get out there? What do you want to be known about this film? Uh, do you do you enjoy it? Do you like it? Yes, and it was awesome and impossible and <laughs> incredible. I watched this movie for the first time when I was probably thirteen or fourteen years old. Mm, okay. uh, had a pizza night at home with my big brother, and we watched it while mom and dad were gone. And I don't know if they knew that we were watching the movie, but it was great. <laughs> it was thrilling for that kind of reason, and it was um, very exciting. Um, I had pro- this was probably my introduction to Tom Cruise and John Voight and all the other interesting faces in this film. Um, I very quickly fell in love with the character of Sarah, even though um, she had very little to do in the film. She kind of reminded me of Audrey Hepburn, and that was cool. But then Tom Cruise uh, steals the intention away for most of the film. And I was really just fascinated with the technology at the time because um, it was really when I was beginning to pay attention more and more and more to technology in the late mm-hmm. 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, the, nowadays the technology is laughable, and we'll probably get to that point a little bit later in our review. I, I What can we say? It has a lot of interesting ideas because they. it, it seems like every scene has huge payoffs, even down to the last one being bigger than the first one which is really impressive considering what they did with the beginning of this film. Because I don't know if you knew about this, TJ, but the original television show was about a team of spies who seemed to figure it out every episode. And like a Timmy and Lassie show or Andy Griffith and Barney Fife, the team always worked together and everything worked out together. And none of them were trying to hurt each other and cause harm to each other. But they turned the story around. They introduced an interesting twist, a great surprise for the old fans and the new fans by making the sort of this conspiracy within the team of spies, the yeah. super spies yeah. where they're out to get each other. And that was amazing. Like it, it's really, it really well paid off and I'm glad that they executed it so well for this film. And it really, it just propelled the mission impossible movie franchise uh, into the future so well so that we got other great mission impossible movies because of this one. Yeah. I just want to note that, uh, Peter Graves played Jim James Phelps in the, uh, 
uh, original TV series. Uh, he, he makes the rounds mostly in B movies. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, it was kind of interesting and he was always considered the good guy. Uh, you know, he was the head of the, of the team in the TV show. And so kind of what they did with this 1996 film has turned everything on its head, like you said. And it really was, especially at the time, I think, uh, there was a lot of outrage among the fans, but I think it worked well. I, by the way, don't agree with quite the consensus there of the critics where, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of down on the film a little bit more than I would be. I, I, I find this film to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Endearing. There, there's something, there's something about this film that I just enjoy so much, probably even more than it really should. Like I recognize my rating is probably higher than it needs to be. I just, I just enjoy this film. I, I enjoy the antics. I enjoy the simplicity and yet the uh, the complexity of things, you know, like in on the one hand, it's a very simple plot. Um, it, it's, you know, the guy uh, that's the head of, I mean, spoiler alert, it's a 1996 film. We're going to spoil the heck out of this thing. Um, the guy who is the head of the team betrays the entire team and uh, Ethan Hunt has to right the wrong. I mean, it's it's simple in that way. And yet it's not that simple, right? It's it's uh, it's it's well written, I think. And no, you can't take the thing seriously. I mean, it's Mission Impossible. It's not. It's not to be taken seriously. But it's just a. It's kind of like we said last week about the the film Enchanted. How it's a fun romp. This is a completely different film, and yet it's still in in its own way. It's a fun romp. That's what it is. It's not meant to be taken seriously. And if you want to think about its place in the bigger scope of cinema, uh, it seems like it has the best traits of classic uh, film storytelling meeting and merging with a new like. Yes. You can tell that movies in the last 20 years have a different way of like unfolding visually, uh, telling the story, different kinds of themes, different uh, character representations. Mm -hmm. We have the sort of a new crop of heroes and how they operate. That's altogether different from the classic era, the golden age and things of the past, the black and white era and um, classic television type um, serials. And what you have here is like the meeting in the middle with this with this film where they, they took a lot of what worked with the original television show, which was a product of, you know, old fashioned filmmaking mm -hmm. and television. And then you mingle it with what was just getting started in the late 90s. So this was the time where you were just starting to get the taste of future filmmaking and how um, films would be different entering into the 21st century. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you got a great molding of different styles within the central, this one film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and at the same time, while it is kind of stepping into the future, I mean, you can definitely see hints and signs of where cinema was headed, uh, you know, and, and then at the same time, the, the action does not feel run of the mill, uh, it doesn't feel like they they were doing special effects for the sake of special effects. I mean, there's some really cool stuff. Don't get me wrong. The CIA break-in scene is some of the best stuff, you know. That's uh, that's been put to film, in my opinion. I really love that scene. It's it's crazy and it's fun and it it almost seems plausible, right? Like especially yeah. at the, you know they had all the security. And it's not like the, it looked weak, but they were still able to pull it off. I don't know how to, else to explain it, you know. Um, it, it was just a fantastic scene, and, and I love that. I, this this I watched it a couple nights ago, and this round I did kind of go, eh, he's kind of just hanging out on the floor there for a long time waiting for that sweat droplet to do something. But other than that, I mean, that scene is, is pretty <laughs> – that, that scene is pretty fun. 
Um, just, just the whole, and, and, and just the way it was accomplished and the guy, you know, he, he's coming out of the bathroom, he's about to catch him, but nope, oh, he's got to turn around and go back in and, and, and throw up some more. I mean, it, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to mention one of my favorite things of this film. I know that most people remember the, uh, last sequence, but really I'd say the first two sequences are my favorite where they introduce what the characters do by jumping right into the middle of a very important um, project, you know, what do you yes. call it? mission yes. for the characters. Yeah, it was a and great introduction. Yeah, and so you're seeing it through the eyes of the technician of the team, mm-hmm. and you're seeing it on his video monitor while the spies are in another location doing their thing, and there are several reveals while uh, you're seeing them accomplishing a mission. There are There are twists in the very first scene mm-hmm. which is yep. like wow i did not see twists coming in the very first scene you just don't see that very often in any kind of storytelling uh, you might have the action you might have character development you might set the tone of the film but that the fact that you even have twists in the very first scene that's unheard of yeah i would be interested to know what the reaction was to this in the theaters in 1996 because yeah i mean it's you can kind of criticize the whole mask trope that's been carried through all four films so far and say, geez, that doesn't happen in the real world. The point is not that it doesn't happen in the real world because it doesn't. The ma- mask can't be made in that way. But but really, it, it felt like when to me it would be the sort of thing where you're watching this in 1996 and you're going, holy moly, how did they do that? <laughs> like they pull off the mask yeah. and it's somebody else completely. It's an, it's insane and it's something you would expect. You know, if you're familiar at all with the old TV show, you're like, this is what they would have loved to do, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was pretty fantastic. For its time, it's believable enough that I think probably, what, you know, 60 to 80% of the audience would say, I don't know how they did that, but that looks totally real and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you watch it now, it's beginning to uh, show it's, you know, that it's dated. I don't know. But it, I'm, at least on my TV, I don't have the biggest TV in the world. But I thought that's still, you know what, that still looks pretty good. Well, I'm not just picking on the face mask generator thing. Um, I'm really just addressing like all of their special gadgetry and sophisticated technology. And the face mask is a byproduct of that. Mm, yeah. Um, a, a couple other examples of this would be that um, they have um, these uh, camera glasses they use a couple of times in the film. And they're way ahead of their time. They're so far ahead of their time. They're even ahead of today's technology. When you look at something like Google Glass and what it can do, it's amazing. But unfortunately, Google Glass has these tacky, uh, you know, like chunky um, bits that are attached to the frames of the glasses. They don't look like normal glasses. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if any uh, kind of consumer product, prosumer product, or secret spy product where you have completely normal looking glasses that have the, the ever so slightest small little bead tucked away on the corner of the frame that is capturing like HD television quality footage in color. It live streamed to offsite. You know, it doesn't have a battery. It doesn't have anything. It doesn't need it. It just works. You know, it it never fails. Every time it can send a live feed to the guy's, you know, television set, to his computer, or to his Dick Tracy watch, which is another one of the gadgets you see in the show. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's totally implausible in that way. I think you and I, in 2015, struggling with a Skype connection over 60 megabit per second internet at least on my end 
Yes, I same here. Yeah, <laughs> it does, yeah, I checked it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think us struggling with a Skype connection kind of disproves that whole thing. That makes it completely implausible. But but it, but it, it's not really the point. Like the the point is that you're supposed to believe that the IMF has access to technologies that we may not have for years and years, you know. And they've got this little in 1996. They have a camera that can't sure, be seen sure, sure, embedded in the the bridge of the glasses. Like yeah, right. <laughs> that doesn't even exist today, <laughs> you know. It's all fun. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I, I will acknowledge that it's it's all fun, and I enjoy it. And I would not throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's just it's funny to me that in a way that shows its age to to the a, an audience that has become much more tech savvy, and we are aware of <laughs> the limits of our technology, which is something that came up as a theme in Brad Bird's Mission Impossible Four, where the technology doesn't always work, and that was one of the fun the fun ideas in his movie was I want to show technology for what it would actually do if they were trying to pull all of this off. Sometimes there would just be bugs. Yeah, no, and I appreciated that. I think they brought it even in a little closer to something more plausible in the, in the, in the future films. Um, you know, I want to point out too. one of the things I was thinking as I was, you know, kind of getting an overview of this film series, this film series has a pretty nice pace. It does. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the pacing of the series. It's not been like, Rush out the sequels. It's, you know, you got Mission Impossible in 1996. You've got Mission Impossible 2, which, eh, no, it wasn't as good as the first one or even the third one, but it's okay. And it came out in the year 2000. I mean, you've got, so you've got, uh, four years right there. Four years. And then you've got Mission Impossible 3 by J.J. Abrams, and that came out in 2006. So that's six years later. And then you've got Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. That's coming out in 2000, uh, that came out in 2011. So there you go. You've got five years right there. And, it doesn't, but and you've got one coming out in 2015, coming out this year. What when is that? Let me click on this. That is, uh, is it really this year? Who was the director for this one? Uh, I, I I know we got Bird, JJ. The Abrams, only thing that I don't think they've announced people. the date. I'd like yet. to know what's going on. I don't think they've announced the date, but it's March 12, 2015, is when they wrapped filming. And Christopher McQuarrie is directing, and uh, he wrote the story. Mm. So my, my my point is, like this film doesn't. The, the series has a really nice feel and pace to it, and I'm yeah. very very happy with this. It doesn't feel like they're rushing stuff out, and yet you, it doesn't feel like the franchise is dead either. I suspect there will be one after the 2015 film that we're going to see this year. So I'm I'm really happy with that. So so this first film though, I, I still think this first film is the best, and it kind of started it all. Uh, Ghost Protocol is cool in, in a lot of ways that the first one wasn't, but this first one just has a lot of charm, and it, it started something. So Ghost Protocol has a very um, fun uh, part of my heart. You know, I, I care sure. a great deal about that movie just because it was actually the very last movie that I reviewed on my former movie review mm. show, Movieology, mm. for the YouTube series. Mm. It was my, my very last video uh, YouTube show uh, review, so... I haven't done any one since. Uh, I think about it every now and then, and I go back and reflect. It wasn't half bad. But yeah. uh, yeah, even that m- movie review show is beginning to show its age. <laughs> Would you say that this first film is better than, than Ghost Protocol, though? At least yes, in some way. And the, I, I want to say it is because of tonality. Like the the first movie, it, it, it produces the tone of Mission Impossible. I wish they could have carried on in yes. all of the films. Yes, precisely. The second one got way too gritty and sort of like um, dramatic. And um, so they wanted to create a sense of uh, like a thriller suspense. Yeah. So it was very much um, like toxic you know, film footage, found film footage. And it was like, ah, you're going to die. Ah, 
you know, it, it felt that way all the way through. And even though underneath all that, it was a Mission Impossible film. Mm-hmm. And then in the third film, it felt more not so much like a uh, a toxic waste dump of born identity, you know, film. It, it felt more like. Um, I don't know what to say, like really suspenseful and mysterious in the J.J. Abrams sort of way. Like you just knew the monster on the island was around the next corner. Mm-hmm. And you got that feel from the, the Mission Impossible 3. Yes. Um, with Mission Impossible 4, you feel like it was made by people <laughs> that didn't know how to express – um, like a sense of innocence, like they had, they had all been burned so many times as yeah, spies. Yeah, and, and that's that's fine though. I, I wasn't I, I wasn't upset with that because you know people evolve, and it's been uh, you know it's been uh, yeah. fifteen years, so you they, know they 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 seemed a little bit more. Uh, aware of the waves of the world and desensitized. Yeah. So yeah. in in, Ep- in the uh, Mission Impossible Four Ghost Protocol, when they introduce this idea that there is a villain who has some secret special um, thing he's going to do that could destroy the world and it could kill everybody and ruin the world as we know it. It like it doesn't have the same impact it would have had in 1996 if it were addressed in this film. It would have been the, it, everybody would have been aghast, like everybody would have been horrified. But in Ghost Protocol, like the only one who seems genuinely horrified is Simon Pegg. But he's so he's so he's he's the comical relief, right? Yeah, so yeah. he quickly gets over his horror and back to the the idea of he is lighthearted, <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, that, that's just an overall opinion of the Mission Impossible films but yeah i in a way even though this film is beginning to show that uh well i want to get to some of the plot problems but i want to talk more about what my likes first but even though it has some plot problems i really do enjoy this movie yeah i I would say that i I wanted to piggyback on something you said that that all the films after the first one they feel much more frenetic and and much much grittier and much different and i really enjoy the tone of this film like you said it it just it doesn't have a frenetic pace but it it always holds your attention um and and that's the sign of a good film to me i was always invested in the character of ethan hunt in the first film and i kind of lost track of that a little with some of the the more recent films even though i enjoy them uh i just i lost track of that a little bit and i never lost track of that in this film i care nope. about ethan hunt i care who he is I'm, you care about who dies and who doesn't. Yeah, and I was really you care about how they die. I really was happy with what they did with uh, with Claire and and how even though I it broke my heart. Don't get me wrong. In terms of story, I'm talking about not in terms yeah, of the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like it was it, it it's like oh man, and you knew it just it just hurt Ethan when she turned out to be with Jim, and yet at the same time, you know. It, 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 Yes, the end of that film is a, is a little crazy, but, but <laughs> when we'll, we'll you say Claire was with Jim, it makes me think it sounds more like a soap opera. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. it was. This is not that kind. Well, of I mean, I think what you what you hoped for as a character, and yet it made for a good story that it wasn't this way. But what you hoped for her character was she didn't know, like like Jim Phelps was doing this all by himself, and 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 it turns out he was because she, she he shot her. But but you know, it, it, what you'd hoped is she didn't know anything about it, and that she was she was a good guy. And and it was it was good drama. I, I was I it was enjoyable. I'm I'm happy to talk about uh, any of the dislikes or plot failures that you feel are are appropriate now. 
Oh, sure. Well, um, going back to my very first viewing, TJ, and my second and my third, I admit that it was very difficult to follow along the plot idea. Um, I appreciated like, okay, so at the end of the scene, I get the impression this new guy, the black guy and this other guy, the pilot, and he are like burned in the past, but they're supposed to be good, but we don't really know if they're good. don't know what they were talking about doing, but they have a plan. And um, this this Max character, she's bad, right? But Ethan wants to work with her. How exactly is this beneficial for Ethan? Why does Ethan? Why is he so bound and determined to clear his name? Does he think he's going to get back into the IMF? Wait a minute, is IMF the CIA by another name, or is it like a division of the CIA, or is it actually a completely different organization that the CIA hires out? See, you know, like, I'm, I'm not at questions all, like this. I'm not at all surprised by this, Joe. You, I, I feel like if, if there's one theme throughout our movie reviewing days, it's that you love to overanalyze things. <laughs> really? I'm just talking about plot here. Like I didn't understand. I, I never had any the trouble place following of plot. IMF. Okay. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm also agreeing with the, the consensus of the movie critics. Like they said the same thing. Like it, 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 in general, people's one criticism was it's sometimes difficult to follow the plot. Mm. I know people say that. I just don't understand. Maybe because I I never saw the film until I was an adult. I think I was about 21 or 22 when you I know, saw the film. You know, that is true. You didn't watch anything until you were an old man. So that does change a lot. But I I'm mean, like nowadays, I, I, under, I can follow along but, just fine. But the thing is, I see adults in reviews where I, I've read a few reviews about this movie talking about how the the plot is convoluted and complicated. And I... I don't understand. It's not that hard to follow. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my, my brain follows this plot and other people's don't, but I, I didn't have that trouble with the film. Okay. Well, here's an example of a misstep. Um, it, it, it's pretty clear at a certain point that Claire, who was married to Phelps, who was the head of this ring of spies, she is alive. She returns to Ethan Hunt and they work together now to clear their names. Or is it that they're there trying to clear Ethan's name? You suppose that Claire is a guilty party too, so she wants to clear her name her name as well. But it's like IMF is not actually going after her. They're going after Hunt. So, okay, maybe she wants to help Ethan as an old-time sort of friend thing. But it, then it turns out that after a couple of very traumatic experiences – they become romantically involved and they have a physical <laughs> relationship, but it doesn't happen on screen. So we're not sure that they actually I had one. Never took that they until, actually had a physical relationship. They were, they oh, were there was some on. romance. It was, certainly, it was it was clarified in the climax between some of the dialogue going on there. Somebody made a, a reference to like scripture and basically condemned Claire for being. Uh, a bad woman for having physical relations out of wedlock? I, I, I disagree. I don't think that that happened. Okay. But then it, to make matters worse, a, there was a sex scene that was produced for the film that didn't appear in the film and it shows up for just like a split second in the movie trailer. Uh, so hmm. it did exist. It was something that was there. An allusion was made to it in the the final showdown, but you don't know that it actually happened because okay. for the record, the All movie right. doesn't have it in there. Yeah. So then there's this ambiguity, right? Like Phelps without a, a – a, a, okay, spoiler alert. Phelps shoots a Claire a, 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 just in a heartbeat. He just does. But why if he didn't have a problem with his wife messing around with Ethan? And why would he blame her for messing around with Ethan? Well, he given put her up circumstances? to it. Yeah, you, you exactly. Yeah. So it's like, wait a minute. Why are you killing your wife again? 
you know, it, 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 it's like you can assume, well, he must have done it because he knew she was a liability and he wouldn't be able to save her life on the train and she would, you know, she would be caught by Kittridge. But wait a minute. Did Phelps even know that Kittridge was on the, on the train? He did not. So, I would, so I, that, is there a reason to believe that Claire was caught? I mean, like, yeah, it's like there are things like this throughout every scene uh, beyond the scene where Ethan meets Max that I, I have questions about that aren't important, but there's just a lot of them from scene to scene. Yeah. Okay. I, ultimately, I don't have as much trouble as you do. All, all my trouble with the film, though, is at the end. Like, the film is great until it falls apart, basically. And and it's within the last three to five minutes of the film. Uh, and I would I would completely agree with you about the motivations of Jim. They're completely unclear. Why does he shoot his wife? We don't know. Uh, he just decided to, to shoot her. Um, and, and it makes no sense why he does. Uh, he is the character that is impossibly thin. Like, I feel like you, I feel like we're connected in some way to every other character that's important in the film, except for Jim Phelps. We're not connected to him as a character. We don't know what's driving him. We don't know why he's a villain. He just is. And he's, he turns into a cartoon villain by the end of the film where he's not really a cartoon villain until he kill until he shoots Claire. And then he's like jumping out onto the train and the wind and, and, and like he's motioning that helicopter to come on and get closer in the tunnel and, and the whole helicopter in the tunnel thing. Oh, please don't even get me started. It's, it's like I said, the film really just falls apart in the last five minutes. And it's unfortunate because I but like the, the film so but much. The helicopter it provides a great amount of entertainment. The, I have to give them. I have to give them leeway with things mm. like that. I don't, I don't it's sort of like it's. It's sort of like the repelling scene in the uh, this special secret office room at headquarters because there's this moment where very obviously uh, a lot of impossible things happen in that one scene. And I, I've, when breaking it down, I was watching the movie today with a friend for the who had never seen the movie before. And she's 21. She has her wits about her. She she understands action films, but she, because she grew up on them, um, and she's watching that scene. And keep in mind that in that special terminal room where the secret computer was, that only one guy could operate. That there were no windows, and the room is. Um, there's qual. There's like um, temperature control. There's pressure control. And there's a special lock system. And she, and and my friend sitting there watching it with me says. Why are the lights on in the room? <laughs> like that's a very good question. <laughs> you know, the the guy the guy who works in the room is gone and the computer system that runs the entire building knows it, but the lights are still on for Ethan to sneak in there and do what he wants to do. It's yeah. like there are things like that that break down the scene. And it's funny. It's okay. That's, but see that's yeah, the thing is that's I, that's a, that's the sort of thing that doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me either. That's my point is that I'm okay with that. It's like going back to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark and saying, hey, Indiana is running around in this cave, right? And a big boulder starts to chase him. Where's the lighting coming from in the cave? There isn't any lighting on Indiana. You know, it's it's like I don't care where the lighting is coming from. It's an awesome scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the sort of thing where you, if you overanalyze, you can do this with any film, any film. You can overanalyze it and it falls apart because that's just the way it is. Uh, and and I think we've talked about this before. Sometimes uh, we sit here and you, you can tell a story and and it can be a real story and somebody will say, oh, plot holes, blah, blah, blah. and it's like, no, that's a real story. So sometimes you can just overanalyze these things, and I I firmly believe that's what's going on there. Uh, but yeah, I get the point. And there are certainly things like that. My, my, my sticking point will be the helicopter in the, in the tunnel. I mean, there are no choppers. 
that have blades not you know narrow enough to fit in that thing it just doesn't work <laughs> they just they don't exist right. <laughs> so uh there is that yeah and yeah that that's really my only complaint is the end of this film um yeah yeah so um let me review my notes i had a few other questions um let's see here uh, oh yeah, I love the aquarium scene. There are so many scenes, TJ. Yeah, there's so much there's payoff stuff, that yeah. are very entertaining. Like there is the scene where um, Ethan uses um, exploding gum for the first time, mm-hmm. and you think that that's the only time you're going to get that payoff with exploding gum. But then eventually, there is another great payoff with it. But he he explodes a an aquarium to his left. It, it bursts forth and fish and water and glass are going everywhere. It's, it's, it just covers and swamps everybody in the restaurant. But then for no apparent reason, which I'm okay with, the glass ceiling aquarium above shatters for no good reason and just does for added effect and everything collapses in the building. <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's stunning. It's hilarious as Ethan is running for his life away from a tidal wave coming out of the, uh, out of the restaurant. Yeah. Um, but did, did it strike you as funny that there are practically no fish in any of the aquarium space? I, 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 I see that funny, every yeah. time. Like I can see one, f- yeah, there's like one lobster or sea crab and there's this one fish you kind of see in the distance in there. And then in the top space, there's maybe two, but it's like there is a lot of water and there is practically no fish. <laughs> it's okay. So they, they could say that there were no sea creatures hurt in the bottle of this film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a kick out of that. I, um, yeah, I don't have anything else. Do you? Um, uh, uh, let's see here. Um, do you know why Kittredge was on the bullet train at the end of the film in the first place? Like, how did he know to be on the bullet train? Well, he knew that, uh, in that scene where they were tracing his call, they traced him to Prague, remember? And they knew that that's where he was. And they said that, well, they know, I think it was Prague, but it was somewhere. They knew where he was, but not exactly. They said, well, well, he wants us to be there. He, he wanted us to find him and they have to go, right? Cause he's, he's on. Okay, good. So, so they, he gets there and he gets a package from Ethan and we don't know much about it other than that there's one of those watch things in that package and it says uh, there's tickets to the to the train. So we know they're going to be on the I'm train. pretty sure that that was an Apple watch. <laughs> it does kind of look like one, doesn't it? So uh, we th- th- that's all we know. And we know that Ethan sent that to him. We didn't know that Claire didn't know that about that. And because the big question now that has to be answered is, is Claire with Ethan or is Claire with um, with Jim? And so that was the that was the thing we didn't know. So there was some unknowns there, and it was satisfactory in the way that that unfolded. And I, yeah, that that worked well. By the way, I enjoyed Ketrich just as a character, like in the, just the way he completely ate up that role. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was well performed. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that that I noticed throughout the film is like a lot of good films out of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. For even a great film, sometimes it feels like the acting is. Um, sort of, uh, what do you call it? It looks like acting. Like it looks overdone. Yeah. It looks overkill. Yeah. It looks extra staged, but that's okay. It's part of the charm of this film and you see it throughout the film, but again, it's, it's okay. Uh, and Kittredge was definitely one of those that looked like he was really kind of overdoing it a, yeah, a little bit. But it, it, was, but it was, it was fun. It, it was, he was well overdoing done. it on purpose though. Like yeah, that was the yeah. point. Although, although I will, I will say, I have to say uh, that I, I think that he, that uh, Tom Cruise did a little bit of overacting there when he did the whole upset. You haven't seen me very <laughs> upset. Yeah, sure, 
I loved, I loved also uh, Ving Rhames as Luther Stickle. Oh yeah, and uh, he's great. The guy, the guy just has a lot of charisma. Mm-hmm. But didn't it strike you as funny that he is the techie computer guy? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> and, but that's and, you know. and not just that. Uh, it, it, it is a little bit much. But this was 1996. So what can we say? Again, for the era, nobody knew the wiser. Well, that, like, I mean, nerds I think, never really. I think like at that. that point we'd already established that computer geeks are usually the white sour cream nerdy types, and I, I actually I think they wanted to break <laughs> the stereotype a little bit. You know, and, and good for them. Uh, but so then, one thing that about Stickle was: did they actually ever prove that Stickle was a good guy who got falsely accused and burned for no good reasons? Because no. they uh, they reinstate him. Uh, near the end of the film, it's just essentially on the merit of how he performed in these particular missions. Yeah, yeah. no, there's no Ethan. evidence one way or the other. There's no, we don't know as the audience, and we don't really yes. care. It is what it is. Okay, okay, agreed. And again, it's it's sort of like an Indiana Jones film where they don't bring back um, some of their really fun characters like Stickle. And I would have really enjoyed it if they had. What are you talking about? Stickle is in every film. What he is? Yeah, what where? Every single what film. What am I missing? He's in I, what? He may not be in two. I was trying to remember if he's in two. I know he's in three. He's a huge. Character Honestly, in three. I'm really forgetful. I'm really forgetful. And he about he such makes details. an appearance in four at the end, just as a hey, I was here, been there, done. Okay, that. see, well, that's why I probably it didn't really ring about. Um, I'm looking up two right now. Mission Impossible two. You know, I don't think no, he was there. There he is. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't remember his character exactly, but he was there. So yeah, he really just I, put I just in have a, a bad memory. Yeah, he really just put and in. If a, I was uh, watching the film tonight, I would notice, but then mm, I would forget tomorrow. Mm, I guess. Yeah, no, I've always enjoyed Stickle, and I was actually disappointed that he wasn't a bigger character in Ghost Protocol. Though some of the new characters that Brad Bird introduced us to made up for that, particularly Jeremy Renner and and uh, uh, I'm forgetting her name and Paula Patton. And I'm sad that she's not going. Paula Patton's not going to be in the fifth one. That's that's sad to me. But yeah, I agree. Anywho. Um, yeah, I, he's, he's, he's a good character. I enjoy, I enjoy stickle. Well, that's all that I had TJ. That's all that I have Joe. Mm. So if you had to summarize your feelings about this film and give it a star rating, how would you do so? I give it four stars out of five because I, I, I chuckle at the mistakes, but it's still great entertainment and there is some pretty good film craft it is a classic spy film. I feel more inclined to watch than the newer ones like, uh, what is it called? Um, see, I don't even remember that. What is the name of that Daniel Craig movie that everybody cra- is crazy about? Um, Skyfall. Skyfall. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, you know, I watched Skyfall once and I'm kind of done. And everybody yeah, yeah, is yeah. like, no, it's the best James Bond film ever made. It is super. And I'm like, whatever, get over it. It's not that artistic. So uh, I care more about this film than the likes of the Daniel uh, Craig Bond uh, franchise, even though I am a huge fan of um, Casino Royale and, uh, and you know, See, I do like the James Bond franchise in general. I don't like much of the new James Bond, actually. I'm okay with pretty much all the James Bond one way or the other. I find something to like, but yeah, sure. Um, yeah. It, there, there are hit and miss films. So it is nice to go back to something like this. That's really solid. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, did you say what your star rating was? I think you said four stars. Four right? out of five stars. Yeah. Yep. I'm going with four out of five stars as well. Uh, and and mostly it, it would have been four and a half out of five if I had enjoyed if, – if it hadn't been for the ending. Uh, like honestly, that ending really, there's not a lot of excuse for it. It's just a little frustrating. It felt like they got to the end of the writing and they're like, we don't know what to do with this. So we're just going to slap some stuff on it and throw some stuff at it and there you go. So other than that, the film is highly enjoyable and highly recommended. 
to date, it is the best Mission Impossible film. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it has good pacing. I think that it knows exactly what it is and it doesn't try to take itself too seriously, where Mission Impossible's 2 and 3 really just took themselves too seriously and got too gritty, uh, more so than this film. So while those are enjoyable films, this is still the best, and I enjoy it a lot, and I, I always come back to it every few years and say, yeah, you know what? This film still holds up, and it's still a lot of fun, and it's a great romp. So I give it 4 out of 5 stars. IMDb users rate the film 7.1 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes critics uh, rate this film at a or at a 61% approval rating, while audiences are at 71%. Mm. Well, that's it for us this week, Joe. Uh, if people want to know more about you and your work, where can they find you at? I am Joe Darnell. Uh, so that means on uh, Twitter, of course, I'm underscore Joe Darnell because I am that much more special. And then on uh, my website, it's joedarnell.com, but I typically write for my other website, my technology website, which is tectonic.fm. Mm. And you'll find more awesome podcasting there. And if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro. That software that I've been mentioning occasionally uh, from time to time has been launched, and you will find more information about it at buzzingpixel.com, though if you're not a web developer and you're not an Expression Engine user, it probably won't matter to you. So the best, best thing to do is follow me on Twitter. Uh, and you'll probably get to see my snarky comments about the uh, Man of ba- Batman Five Superman trailer. Um, <laughs> and so, if you want to follow me there, that's a place to do it. Looking forward to it. And if you want to find show notes for this episode, you can do that at moviebyte.com/mbpodcast/slash/one thirty-three. And we'll put all the links to all the cool things that we talked about there. And that's also a link that you can share with your friends and your family and your loved ones and anyone that you want to tell about this awesome podcast and this awesome show. And you share that link and they'll be able to play the episode right there. Uh, That is it for us this week. Uh, Stay tuned uh, to us on Twitter or follow MovieBite on Twitter if you want to know what we're reviewing next week. Because we don't know yet, but we'll figure it out. Uh, We're not super excited about the films and theaters right now. Uh, I still need to look at what's coming up this weekend, but we'll figure it out. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week at the cinema. We'll catch you next time. See you, Joe. Good night, DJ.